Welcome to a Millennial Preacher Podcast, where we have real conversations about church and faith. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for listening to a Millennial Preacher Podcast. Today's special episode is a sermon conversation where I walk through different topics in a more conversational approach, and I hope you enjoyed this next conversation where we talk about revival. So at Liberty Christian Church, which is where I pastor, we've been talking through a series called It Starts With Me, knowing that if we want to see church growth, um, and if you look across America, you read all the statistics and whatnot, that the church as a whole has been in decline for 30 plus years, really since the spiritual movement of the Jesus movement in the 60s and 80s stopped. We know that if we want to see spiritual revival, it starts within us, the church. Uh, so a series we've been going through has been really leading up to this point where, where we talk about revival. So over the next couple of minutes, we're going to look at the original revival in the book of Acts chapter 2, but we're also going to look at some of the revivals and spiritual awakenings um, in the history of our country in America in the mid-1700s. So uh, in the book of Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching um, a phenomenal sermon, and what's incredible is you know he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's uh, a tremendous work of the Holy Spirit, and he's preaching this message. People think they're drunk, the apostles and Peter, and, and they're preaching in different languages, and everyone's kind of amazed, and uh, Peter just lays it out like it is. He preaches clearly the message of the gospel, which I think is the the key to true church growth, uh, and in verse 37, I believe is where revival begins in Acts chapter 2, and Peter just rails these people in a loving way and is honest about the the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection. He says, listen, you guys killed him, but he also, God raised him from the dead. And in verse 37 in chapter 2, it says, Peter's words, this is the New Living Translation, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what, what should we do? Uh, you know, thinking of church ministry as a pastor, if someone came to me and said, hey, I've been impacted by Jesus, what is my next steps? That's like the best day in the world for any pastor if they have any passion about the gospel. And the challenges in the consumeristic culture of America where we live, this is just not the case at this point. You know, I, I believe that God is beginning a uh, spiritual movement in our country. I don't think we're we're there yet, but I believe it's it's coming, but if we want to see revival happen, we know that it begins when we are all pierced by the message of, of the gospel. And in my personal life, there's a time when I rebelled against anything Jesus. I rebelled against the church. I didn't want anything to do with faith. I didn't want anything to do with God. And I went kind of on a prideful route of pursuing whatever I wanted to pursue. And then I remember the day when I, I kind of was broken and in, in, in pure humility. I, I came before God and I said, I'm so sorry. And I believe it was the first time I experienced worship as well as the first time that uh, I was truly pierced by the love of Jesus. And I, I grew up in an amazing church of people, I, I believe, who love the Lord. Uh, I'm not trying to be critical, but I'm just trying to be honest of my, my experience. And I think what the church across our country is missing is being founded on Jesus and the gospel. I'm not saying this about 100% of churches by any means. I think there are great churches out there, and no church is is perfect. But I, I think the point of this conversation is if we want to see revival, if we want to see people give their life to Jesus and be changed by the message of Jesus, it begins, obviously, with Jesus. And uh, we need to soften our hard hearts, and we need to believe uh, because the fact of the matter is you cannot uh, partially believe in Jesus 
It's, it's impossible. And I think in our culture in America, that's what we do. You can kind of believe in Jesus. Am I a Christian? You ask the majority of the population, they'd probably say that they are uh, Christians. But is that is that the case? Uh, you, you can't be a half follower of Jesus, I don't think. You either are a follower of Jesus or you're not. It's either you believe in him or you don't. It's, it's that simple. And when you read through the apostles' sermon and Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, and I encourage you to do that in your own time, the the words they used were very simple. There was, uh, you know, it was very clear. There is no funny video as we, you know, um, really with our standards of sermons and we look at the greatest communicators across our country and their churches and where people write books about how they preach and how to communicate well. Uh, Peter wasn't doing any of that. There's no fancy illustrations. He did quote a lot of scripture from the Old Testament, you know, correlating to the culture of the people he was talking to. Uh, but he wasn't wearing skinny jeans. He wasn't wearing $1,000 shoes. He wasn't uh, being super hip. Uh, he was just speaking the truth. And if if we want to see revival in our country, if we want to see people come to know Jesus, we need to start with the truth, obviously. Uh, I hope you would all agree with me on, on that one. And you can't really be more clear than this. And in verse 32 of Acts chapter 2, Peter says, just lays it out. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. In verse 36, he says, so let everyone know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. I don't know about you, but that's some hardcore conviction. Uh, some of these people Peter was talking to were probably yell, uh, shouting crucify him to Jesus weeks earlier. And so these people, uh, you need to understand, knew exactly what Peter was talking about. They knew about Jesus. Everyone uh, knew about Jesus. It was the talk of the town. He uh, was walking into town and people laying palm branches at his feet, worshiping him. And then uh, days later, they were shouting, crucify him. So this would have been the, the talk of the town. Everyone knew uh, what he would be talking about. And so he just lays it out clearly like it is. Uh, he does this in a strategic manner. And I think it's important that we're strategic. He speaks to their culture. He knows the audience he's talking to. And so I think that's important as well. And our country and the cultures you live, even in different church bodies, every church culture is different, whether it's in the Northwest or in the South or even different cities or even different communities in that city. Every church culture is different. And it's important that you speak to the culture that you are in. But no matter what, we, we have to be founded on Jesus. And my deal is, uh, I think of my life and my past, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm almost 30, but I'm a man that God saved from a life of sin. I'm no different than any of you listening right now. The only reason that um, I am a pastor is because Jesus pierced my heart, and I, like the people that Peter is talking to, I said, God, what, what do I do? I remember specifically laying down and weeping one day and uh God, I said, God, I, I want to follow you. I want to go where you lead me. And he has led me to this point. So I want to challenge you as the listener. Ha, have you asked that question to God uh, in your prayer life? And we talk about prayer. We're just talking about communication with God. I'm not talking about sitting there with your hands folded and your eyes closed like our culture would assume what prayer is. There's nothing like that in the Bible. Prayer is simply communication with God. And have you had this conversation with God before where maybe you're pierced by the love of the gospel your life is changed by Jesus, and you say, uh, "God, what what do I do? Jesus, what are, what do I what do I do? What are my next steps? How can I be used for Your glory? I give my life to You. I give my all to You. No matter what, I I, I want to serve You. And it's when we ask these questions to God as the church, this is where revival will begin. So when Peter's talking to these people, uh, and uh, they come to know Jesus, they say, 
as what I just said to you is, brothers, what do we do? What are our next steps? We want to, we've been pierced by the love of Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. What do we do? And Peter says in verse 38, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they repented from their sins, and they believed, of course, and they were baptized. And they formed a beautiful community of love and encouragement and prayer. And it says that day, 3,000 people came to believe in Jesus. It says that in verse 41. So I don't know about you, but when I read through something like that, that that sounds like revival to me. This was the original revival of thousands of people coming to know Jesus in in one day, pierced by the love of Jesus. What I love, it's it's not an evangelistic approach as in... um, when we think of evangelists, you, you go to like a, a stage or a concert and then the evangelist pounds you with Jesus and then they say, everyone put your hands up. Obviously, uh, it, he did not say that. Um, Peter didn't have people walk forward. He just said, repent and believe. And they were they were baptized. And also what happened is they got plugged into a community afterwards. I believe, this is a personal belief, that uh, one of the issues with our modern view of evangelism is you send these evangelists around, these great, phenomenal preachers, wonderful people, and they preach a message, people put their hands up, walk forward, I commit my life to Jesus, and this was kind of an era in the 50s, 40s, 50s, and 60s as well, and all these evangelists went around, and then they say, put your hands up, and then people would walk forward and have this emotional experience, but what was missing was that second part um, that we see in the book of Acts. You see, the believers formed a community. A lot of the times in these evangelistic movements, uh, people will come forward, people will give their life to Jesus, and then they're uh, forgotten about. There's no further connection with um, the local community. They're, they're not plugged into a local church. They're not plugged into a small group body of people that can spiritually care and, and nurture them. And so they're left to the, to the dust. And then uh, many people who, um, there's statistics out, I read many articles even about the Billy Graham era of the percentage of people that get plugged into the local church after these evangelistic events. And it is so, so very low. Um, A tiny percentage of people who actually come forward at these events and give their life to Jesus get plugged into the local church. And I'm not saying that these evangelistic movements were bad. Um, I have great respect for evangelists and, and for Billy Graham and, uh, and that movement. But I think uh, we missed, we missed something. And I think it's that second part in the book of Acts where it says, after the believers gave their life, they, they formed this incredible community because that's what we need. That's what we were made for. Uh, we were made in the image of God. God is Father, Son, Spirit. He is a relationship in himself. We were made in his image. We were made for relationships. So these people, uh, pierced by the love of Jesus, uh, they form a beautiful community. And one of my favorite verses is verse 47. It says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And again, reading this as a pastor, man, that is just a great day in the church. Uh, And it pumps me up because thinking of people knocking on the church building, knocking on my front door saying, hey, I've given my life to Jesus. What are my next steps? What do I do? Man, that's just like the best day in, in the world. So the question I've asked myself and challenged myself is we, we live in this country where we want to see spiritual revival. There's been spiritual awakenings in the past. And I thought, well, why not right now? You know, it's 2019. Um, I think people are more desperate for answers than ever. Uh, and thinking, why not? Why not here? Why not the church today uh, that we just are founded on Jesus and nothing else that we truly believe in his death and resurrection? Because uh, it is where this uh, begins when we keep Jesus the foundation of all that we do, that we cast away church politics, 
that we walk away from things that pull churches apart and we simply love people as Jesus says to love people and we communicate clearly the message of the gospel and we uh, just simply follow where Jesus leads because this is where hope begins. This is where revival begins. And so now if we look into past revivals in our very own country, uh, it's cool because it began with a, a group of people and preachers uh, who cared about one thing and that's simply Jesus and people hearing about the, the life-changing message of Jesus' death and resurrection. And we talk about these old theologians, the guys like George Whitefield, which we'll talk about in a second, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley. These guys are not Jesus. Uh, they're not perfect. You read through their life, a, a lot of these guys sacrificed their family life for ministry. A lot of um, Americans, theologians, you read that their family hated their guts or they had no family life where they completely abandoned their family or not abandoned, but were not present because they spent all the time studying, which I think is not healthy. Um, so they were not perfect, but still God used them in, in, in an incredible way. And we look at past revivals like uh, George Whitefield, let's say in the mid 1700s. This was one of the first, the first awakening in spiritual awakening in the United States. It, uh, it's referred to as the greatest or the great awakening led by guys like named George Whitefield, Jonathan Edwards, and uh, John Wesley and others. So George Whitefield, he grew up in England. His, his dad was a local pub owner. I read articles and books that he was raised, George Whitefield was raised around pimps and alcohol. He was dirt poor. He was able to attend Oxford, but as the lowest level of student, he was a servant. He helped other students with their homework. He did dishes. He helped classmates bathe. Man, that just sounds awful. <laughs> and talk about humility. He swept. He cleaned clothes. And so he's basically a servant at the school, but he was also allowed to attend there. Yet, the greatest spiritual awakening in our country's history was led by this man, along with others, is Jonathan Edwards, who's referred to as the... Uh, theologian of America, like the godfather of theology for uh, our country, and John Wesley in the mid-1700s. And I read a, a quote about Whitefield's preaching, and it says that it, it, his preaching wasn't different just because of his style. His message was different too. And uh, what he said, it, Whitefield preached, if only people would repent and believe. So he's just focused on Jesus, and, and, and that's it. He's not talking about how to live a better life. And it drives me nuts because when we look around a lot of you mega churches in our country, and I'm not saying all mega churches are bad. I think they can be uh, consumerism and kind of uh, puts gas on the fire for our consumeristic culture. But it's, it's not just how to live a better life, how to be happier, because this is not what people need. Uh, what we need to know is how to live a life knowing and following Jesus. And if we understand that correctly, then all the other things will fall into place, how to live a better life. And and we get caught up in saying your life is going to be perfect when you're a follower of Jesus. Now, granted, Jesus walks along life with us, but you look through the apostles, even Peter, um, most theologians believe that out of all the apostles, except for one, they were all uh, murdered in terrible, terrible ways. And and so we, we can't lie or, or, or spread the lies of you believe in Jesus, you're baptized, your life will be perfect. Not true. Granted, uh, life is incredible. Granted, your, your mentality of life changes because you know it's not about you, it's about, it's about Jesus. But even when we think about the Great Awakening in our country in the mid-1700s, uh, what's interesting is that there was division in the Great Awakening. I've read articles that the, the religious folks, the, the, the current pastors of local churches, they didn't like it. They, at times, closed their door to these uh, evangelist preachers and these guys teaching about Jesus' death and resurrection. A lot of times, that's why guys like George Whitefield, 
And, and Jonathan Edwards had a lot of church drama, too. You can read about his life. But George Whitefield had to preach outside pretty often um, because a lot of churches didn't want him him there. You know, They didn't want this fiery preacher talking about Jesus coming to their, their church and interrupting their congregations and whatnot. And so oftentimes they would stand outside, and George Whitefield would stand outside and um, uh, stand on like barrels and preach to two or 3,000 people, and these people would come to know Jesus. It's said that he had a very loud voice that you could hear him from like 100 yards. It's pretty pretty incredible how they could project their voice. And same with Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he's one of the greatest preachers of all time in, in his church, uh, hundreds of people, and he had no microphone back in that era. Um, but what's incredible to think of in these greatest awakenings of our country, spiritual awakenings where mass people were, were coming to faith, it, it oftentimes happened outside of what we would identify as the church, of church buildings. And these people came to faith uh, and by droves and gave their life to Jesus um, out, outside uh, and just said, I'm a follower of Jesus, what do I do? And also, I think it's important to note as we talk about spiritual awakenings in our country that it, we're not saying when there's these spiritual, spiritual revitalizations, not 100% of the country, 100% of people came to know Jesus. Uh, but it's just a, a mass spiritual movement of people believing in Jesus and having conversations and, and, and coming to, to faith. Uh, and this should challenge us, thinking about great awakenings and, and spiritual awakenings in our country, that if we as a church, if we ever lose Jesus at the center of all that we do, at that point, you might as well just shut the doors because the end is near. And you, again, you read all the statistics of, of the local churches who are dying out, built, selling buildings, and uh, are, are in steep decline. The question I've asked is why? Why have these churches been, been closing the door? And here's the challenging piece. What we do is we blame culture a lot. Uh, it's culture's fault. It's not our fault. You know, we blame. We blame everything. It, it's People are walking away from church. It, it's, it's, it's our fault. Um, and, and you think... Uh, it's the government's fault, etc. We just make up all these excuses. But let's think about this. Who created this culture that we live in? We did. Who created the consumeristic culture of the church? We talk about this a lot of the churches and articles that we, we live in a consumeristic society where people come to church expecting to be fed. That's a huge thing. I need to be fed. It's all about me. Who created that culture? We did. Whose fault is it that an entire generation of millennials loathes the church and basically refers to all churchgoers or many churchgoers as hypocrites? I know you've heard this before. People say, I don't go to church anymore because uh, I, I, I don't like, because they live one way and they, they say one thing they, and they act a different way. They say they love people, but then they don't. Um, and the deal is, this is time to take responsibility. It's, it's our fault that the church is in the place that it is right now. It's not God's fault. Um, it's, it's our fault. We created the culture that we live in. So it's time to stop blaming and it's time to take responsibility. And if we want to see people come to know Jesus, it starts here within us. Revival starts with me. And if we want to fix the problem, uh, it all starts with Jesus. We want revival, it starts with us. And oftentimes I think, you know, uh, the pessimism part of me is, I don't think it can happen. I put my head on my pillow at night and I'm kind of discouraged and I had a bad weekend and thinking, well, maybe revival is not possible. Maybe there's never going to be a spiritual awakening in our country ever again. Maybe revival will never come. People won't turn to God. It's it's impossible. And then I, I think about it and I pray about it and then God just puts the spirit in my heart and listen, I, I just refuse. 
I refuse to give up. I, I just refuse. And it's funny because I didn't realize I was stubborn until I refused to admit that I was stubborn. If you're listening out there, maybe you're stubborn too. Um, but I'm stubborn for revival. And I believe revival will come. I believe a great revival is even beginning right now. If you look what's going on, the millennials, my generation, I'm almost 30. I'm in the smack dab middle of the millennial generation. We're kind of the worst of the worst, right? Uh, very cynical. Uh, we don't like anything uh, church-related. We don't really like faith. Our generation is known as the generation that walks away from the church. And really, if you're a millennial, if you go to church, it's because you're there for the right reasons. You're not going for consumeristic things, for the most part. Uh, if you if you go to church, it's because you love Jesus. Um, and other older generations, I would say that's not the case. Sometimes you used to go to church because that's just what was culturally normal. Uh, but in all the articles I've read, and the blog post and whatnot is that the next generation, my kids' generation, Generation Z, um, this, they call them the screener generations because they, they don't know, screener generation, they don't know life without a screen and the internet. And uh, they are much more optimistic, much more open to conversations about faith. And I think they're just sick of all the negativity because, man, it's just awful out there, the negativity. And so I believe there's great hope for a spiritual awakening within our country. And I think it's happening before our eyes right now. I think it's it's just beginning. Um, but I know it will, it will begin when we keep our eyes on Jesus. In Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates our faith and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And listen, I'm just being honest. I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be critical. I'm, I'm not being negative. It's just, uh, this is just what happened. I, I grew up in the church from, a, from birth, basically. Um, I, I was involved in a handful of different churches as a kid. I was born in a, into a Baptist church, but I grew up in a, another small church community. And I experienced everything possible about church. I went to every VBS, all the five-day clubs, all the after-school programs, all the camping stuff in the summer and all this stuff, and, and the fill-in-the-blanks. And I'm, again, I'm not being critical. There's wonderful people, but I think it's just we, we miss the point. Um, and when I think about my own childhood and in ministry, uh, what I missed was the gospel. What I missed was clearly hearing the gospel like Peter lays it out in Acts chapter 2. What I missed was disciple-making, the community that was formed afterwards. And you see, the, the greatest spiritual awakenings in our country, the Great Awakening, went away from religious practices, as we would say, and they talked about Jesus and Jesus changing lives. And when we look at all the articles and, and you see the books coming out and this happened and the church is in decline and... and uh, how many thousands of churches are closing their doors every year? Listen, you guys, it's it's going to stop. The church decline movement, it's going to stop. It cannot continue forever. And I believe God is actually doing some healthy pruning. And I'm tired of looking through articles and all the church declines and all this. And there are some churches that are doing great things. Uh, I'm not putting, make some hyperbolic statements where saying every church isn't. No, there's churches that are growing and the church is doing good things. But I'm talking about as, as a whole, the church across our country is in decline. And I believe that in the coming years, next three, four, five, ten years, it's going to turn around. There will be a spiritual awakening in our country, and it starts with us. And I pray that God will use uh, the church I pastor, the churches in my city, in my state, in my country. He will use the church as he used churches in the Great Awakening, as he used the apostles in the book of Acts, where people were actually coming to churches asking how could they be 
saved. And it's it's incredible. And I believe, again, we are, we are right in it. And if we follow where Jesus leads us as a church whole, people will come into relationship with him and people will uh, believe in the gospel. And Acts says people were pierced by the message of the gospel because I believe it's their soft hearts after uh, there were enough witnesses that Jesus appeared to all these people. And so word, again, was getting around. Everyone knew what Peter was talking about, so they, they know what's going on. And so it's when we're pierced by the message of the gospel, when we openly declare that Jesus is Lord, as it says in Romans, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the gospel. And Peter quotes that in Acts chapter 2 from the book of Joel. This is Jesus, and this is where revival will begin. Will begin. So uh, I, I want to end our conversation talking about this, and this is something I've really um, been praying through and thinking about, and it's kind of encouraged me. And I found a chart. It was on the Wikipedia article, actually, of the past revivals in our country. And the first revival, the Great Awakening, where we talked about George Whitefield preaching outside, and there's just a movement of the Holy Spirit. And the art, the books I've read of you guys like Jonathan Edwards, conservative, wearing these wigs, kind of like George Washington, and they're standing up there, standing behind the pulpit, and just laying it out there. They're just being bold with the gospel, and people were being slain in the Spirit. They, were doing, they weren't doing any like weird stuff, and uh, they were just talking about the gospel talking about the word of God, and people were just getting slain in the spirit. It's incredible. It's really a movement of the Holy Spirit. And on a side note, when we think about mega churches today, what I notice, and it drives me crazy, and I pray that I, I will not do this personally, if this ever happens to me in my church, um, that when churches have immense growth, oftentimes, not saying 100%, but oftentimes what happens is a church grows, they're on the list. There's a list out there of like the fastest growing churches. And then they write books about what they did and saying, this is our, this is what we did. This is how you grow your church, et cetera. And then you, you package it up and then you sell it and you make money off of it. And it drives me nuts because when we have these moments of incredible spiritual growth of people coming to know Jesus, um, again, I'm not saying all the time, but a lot of the times people don't attribute it to the Holy Spirit. Uh, in the Great Awakening, it wasn't anything the churches were doing, um, there was no uh, fancy, perfect worship music, as we would say. Uh, people weren't coming because they were just coming because of the gospel, because the Holy Spirit was piercing their hearts and, and, and they believed. And when we have these great church movements, like in the 80s and the 60s and the 80s, there's a Jesus movement of people coming to faith, one of the revivals of our country. People came to faith, and a lot of mega churches we have today were founded in this era. And they have thousands of people now, and then they've written all these books and talking about how amazing they are. But no one attributes it to saying, hey, this is the deal. Like, it wasn't us. We did our best, um, and, and God prepared us for it. Um, but it was simply a movement of the Holy Spirit, and we are grateful, grateful for it. So, But let's think about past revivals in our country. In 1730, 1755, that was the first great awakening in our country. And then it stopped. And that's the funny thing about revival. When revival comes, it also stops. It's not. Um, it doesn't continue forever. So there's spiritual movement and then goes away. And really, it's the pattern of humanity uh, since Adam and Eve. And you look through the Israelites and Egypt, and, and God rescues them. A generation follows Jesus, and, uh, follows God, and then they walk away from God. And then another generation follows God, and they walk away. You look through the book of First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel. Um, some kings follow God, some kings don't follow God. And it almost goes back and forth and back and forth, and that's kind of just life. So when we look at even the pattern of uh, spiritual awakenings in our country— I would assume that this same pattern happens all over the world, where people follow Jesus, there's a movement of, of revival, of spiritual awakening, and then there's maybe a couple of generations that walk away from God and it keeps going back and forth. So 
This pattern has happened in our country. So there's a great awakening from 1730 to 1755. Then there was a 35-year gap. And then there was another uh, spiritual movement from about 1790 to 1840. There's a 50-year spiritual movement. Now, again, I'm not saying every person came to faith, but it's just a, a spiritual movement where many people were giving their life to Jesus, um, and there's an awakening within the church. And there's a 15-year gap. And then the third spiritual movement was from 1855 to 1930. And then and there's a 30-year gap. And then uh, the fourth spiritual movement was about 1960 to 1980. This was referred to as the Jesus movement. I was born in 1990, so I don't remember this. I was not alive yet, but I've, I've seen many documentaries and heard from the generations older than me that there is a movement again in the 60s and 80s called the Jesus movement. These hippies were giving their life to Jesus, and churches were growing, and people were open to conversations about faith. And so that spiritual movement stopped in about 1980, and we've really had a 39-year gap it's 2019 now. So there's been a 39-year gap since the, the last spiritual movement. And I believe history repeats itself. I believe we can see that in Scripture. Uh, and we can learn from history as well. So there's a 35-year gap between the first awakening and the second. There's a 15-year gap between the second and the third. And there's a 30-year gap between the third and the fourth. And so there's been almost a 40-year gap. So this is what I'm saying. We are due for a spiritual movement in our country. It is simply coming. Uh, it's going to be a movement of the Holy Spirit. I believe I, I could be wrong. Uh, it could be a longer gap. I don't know, but I'm saying it will happen. I firmly believe it with all of my heart. We are in the midst of the beginnings of an incredible spiritual movement of people coming to faith. And we are going to see articles come out that churches have stopped closing their doors that the church, church across America has stopped declining and it is beginning to incline. The last statistics I saw, some articles, like less than 20% of Americans are in church on a given weekend. Um, so it keeps going down, but it's it's going to bottom out and then it will turn around. And sometimes I believe, you know, God is doing some healthy pruning. Uh, sometimes uh, we have people in church who probably shouldn't be in church. Uh, and by that, I mean, uh, maybe they are uh, saying they're following Jesus, but they're not acting like it. And uh, maybe that's the reason for some church decline. I'm not sure. I'm just talking about some ideas. But what I'm saying is that spiritual revival, a spiritual movement is coming to our country and that God is preparing church. There's been a church planting movement of uh, so many different organizations, Acts 29, and there's many more of people planting churches all over the place. So what God is doing, I believe, this is my personal opinion, God is preparing our country for great spiritual movement of millions of people coming to faith, giving their life to Jesus. Uh, is it the next generation? I believe so. I don't know for sure. Um, but uh, I think that that would go along with history and whatnot. But I, I believe there's going to be a spiritual movement in our country and that God is preparing the church for that movement. And it's going to be an incredible miracle of God, a work of the Holy Spirit. I hope that no one... <laughs> writes books about what they did because sometimes, yeah, you can do your best as obviously we give everything for the gospel. We do our best to serve God in the most effective and strategic ways possible. I get it 100%. Um, but it's going to simply be a movement of the Holy Spirit and the growth of the church in the coming years is going to be attributed to the Holy Spirit and that is it. Hopefully, uh, what we pray at our church is uh, we know that a spiritual revival is coming. We know that there's going to be a great spiritual movement in our country, and we just pray that God will use us, and we get to be along for the ride, uh, that uh, God will entrust us with what Jesus has called us to do as followers of Jesus, to go and make disciples of all nations. Um, and so I, I believe the time is now uh, that we 
keep Jesus the center of all that we do, that we walk away from consumerism, uh, the megachurch model. Again, it's just, uh, it can turn into celebrity culture and it's just dangerous. It is dangerous to worship pastors. And I have the temptation, you know, of, of to desire that. But man, it's hard. It's difficult to, to walk away from that. But you look at Jesus. There's times when he's very popular and there's times when people are shouting crucify him. Paul, you read through his life. He's, he's kind of an odd guy. Uh, loved the gospel more than anything, and he loved investing into people. He loved leadership development, like guys like Timothy and Titus. He truly loved and uh, and developed them. That's where revival happens uh, when we when we follow the words of Scripture, following the examples and the footsteps of Jesus. And I believe that that time is coming in our country. So I'm really pumped up about that. It's a fun time to be a pastor. Scary time, but a fun time. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope. Um, in coming uh, weeks, this podcast, this is a, a special episode called a sermon conversation where it's just me talking through some different topics. We're also going to have interview conversations with other pastors from my city and state, um, guys who are experts on ministry and church growth and the different issues the church is going through. So I hope you can tune in to, to some of those. We'll have questions and answers time and whatnot. So uh, thanks for tuning in, you guys. Excited for where this podcast is going. Hope it blesses you today and uh, have a wonderful week.